well, happy Mother's Day weekend. For those of you that are celebrating Mother's Day today, happy Mother's Day. For those of you, maybe today is a hard day. We're so glad that you're here. And we know that can, today can be difficult, uh, whether you are grieving the loss of a mom or perhaps you are a mom who is grieving or perhaps you are a mom in waiting and, and grieving the waiting process. We just want to let you know we see you and we love you and we are glad that you are here. And our hope is that we are encouraged today as we center our lives on Christ. It is springtime and the rain is here and the grass is growing. Some of the flowers, right, they're, they're starting to bud, to bloom. There's new growth on the trees. Spring brings with it this anticipation. Spring brings with it this hope for, for what is to come through the summer and maybe even into the fall. And some of us, we have our lawnmowers out. And we've been doing some yard work. You know, some of you are way much more of a green thumb than I. And I've seen some of your yards. Just, just bravo, <laughs> bravo. Uh, I'm thinking about those who have a garden. And man, springtime is so important for the gardener as you just want to set yourself up for a successful season so that you can have a great harvest, right? Like putting the fence around it so to keep the critters out so that you can eat the fruit or the vegetables that you're planning, not, not the rabbits and the deer or, or whatever might eat it instead. Uh, you know, that you plant what you want to plant, how you want to plant, when you want to plant it, you de-weed it, all these things. And it's in this context of a garden that we can actually see our Heavenly Father as the divine gardener over a vineyard. And this is the imagery that Jesus introduces in John 15. John 15, 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And he is going to be laying out a text in which he describes himself as the vine, identifies himself as the true vine with the father being the gardener. And we can be branches who can receive his life. And my hope for us today is that as we rest in this passage and truly just open the scriptures together and let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts as only the Holy Spirit can, that we can not only grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, but, but why that matters to us and how that can make a tremendous difference in our life. So uh, grab your Bible, whether you have it on a digital device or perhaps you have a physical Bible, grab your Bible and open up to John chapter 15. We will have the text on the screen, but I just encourage you to follow along as well as I'll be referencing it uh, more throughout our time this morning. John 15 verse 1, read along with me. It says this, John 15 Verse one, I am the true vine, Jesus is speaking, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. So this word remain, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that word this morning. Remain, remain in me as I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And he uses these words again and again throughout the rest of our text. Remain in me. Remain in me. And we want to explore that. But before we do, let's just go back 
And let's better understand these first four verses and how Jesus is setting the context. Now, Jesus is using this imagery, and, and to the disciples at this time and those listening, they are very familiar with the imagery of a vineyard. Not only is Israel just filled with vineyards, but Israel itself is described as God's vineyard that he planted to to be fruitful. And throughout the entire Old Testament, just on your own, if you'd like to just to chase that, the imagery of the vineyard, throughout the Old Testament, Israel is the vineyard. Israel is the vine and it's failing. It consistently falls short to bear fruit and it's dying. A simple text to go to to understand what I'm talking about is Isaiah chapter 5. And Isaiah chapter 5 in verse 7 says this. It says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And so Israel was this vine that could never produce fruit. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I am the fulfillment. I am the ultimate expression of the vine. I am the true vine. And he is uprooting (laughs) the entire culture and understanding of who Israel is. And he's replacing it with himself. And he's saying, it's me. It's me. And my father is the gardener. Maybe your Bible says uh, the vine dresser, if you will. He cuts off, verse 2, he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. Now, real quickly, we believe that the Holy Scriptures, that the Bible says you are secure for eternity once you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. So how can verse 2 talk about being lopped off? If, if I don't produce fruit, does that mean I lose my salvation? No, Not at all. In fact, as the Gospel of John, as the author, John writes in another letter we have in the New Testament, 1 John 2, 19, he helps us understand this when he he says they didn't belong to us. In other words, there are people who look like Christians and talk like Christians and act like Christians and and, and, give like Christians and serve like Christians and worship like Christians, but they never have truly received Christ. They've never truly given their life over to him. They never truly had this intimate relationship with Christ where he calls them his sons and his daughters and they are like the branches that bear no fruit and they get cut off because they they were never truly receiving life from the vine. Once you receive life from the vine, you will never fall away. But you will get pruned. <laughs> but you will get pruned and pruning hurts and some of you you just need to be encouraged by this today. You're in a pruning season. Uh, maybe the pruning is just entrusting God with your finances in a month or maybe even a week. When the car repair came unexpectedly, when the house repair came unexpectedly, man, those darn water heaters. And, you know, when that medical bill, 
you weren't expecting that. You weren't ready for that. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to pay for these things? What are we supposed to do? Some of you, you're in a season of pruning and maybe to a much greater degree than the example I'm giving around that. You know, you just need to know that God loves you, that God is doing this because he loves you and he wants you to be even more fruitful. Hebrews 12 gives us an insight to this. When it says this, Hebrews 12 says, and we're talking about parents, how parents discipline us for a while while they thought it was best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. In other words, become more like Christ, or as Edward Creek would say, become more devoted followers of Christ. And so for those that were never really truly in Christ, he lops them off. For those of us that are in Christ, he prunes us and pruning hurts, but it helps us bear better fruit and brings us to holiness, being more like Christ. We're just in verse two, let's keep going. Verse three, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And so as the father, the vine dresser, this divine gardener is caring for the vine and the branches on the outside, Jesus is saying, man, I got you on the inside too. I've cleaned you. Uh, I've cleaned you because of the words that I have spoken to you. And, you know, in a day where we live in like how many, you, you can, it's amazing to me what you're offered a protection plan on these days. Like I think yeah, it doesn't matter what it was, but sometimes the, the most minute things you're trying to purchase, would you like a two-year protection plan on that? It's just like, do I really need a two-year protection plan on this man talk about the ultimate protection plan you have the divine vine dresser the divine gardener and the ultimate the one and only true vine working in you and around you it does not get better than this verse four remain in me here's that word again remain in me and i will remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me now let's listen to jesus as he just takes this another step further verse five i am the vine and you are the branches if you remain in me and i in you you will bear much Fruit, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And here he's just taking it another step deeper to go, look, as the branch who's grafted into me, you can bear fruit and you should bear fruit for the Father's glory, right? The fruit uh, bearing of the branch has nothing to do with the branch. It's all the vine who's giving the life to the branch to even bear it. And, and it's for the gardener's glory. It's for the father's glory. And so here we have just this uh, other kind of new level of understanding what Jesus is saying when, when he says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. And we should be bearing fruit because it is the expression of being connected to the vine, to the Father's glory. It's this beautiful image. And Jesus is about to take this even further. Let's read this. This is so great. In verse nine, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain, there's that word again, in my love. If you keep my commands, I will remain in, or you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love 
And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. What a great verse. You are my friends. That's an even better verse. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command Love each other. And we have this beautiful imagery, this, 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 this progression of love, if you will. This sequence of love where you have the Father who is loving the Son and the Son who is loving the Father. And we know that the Holy Spirit's in this too, right? It's this divine trinity, this holy trinity, this oneness, this uh, unity that the trinity expresses. The Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And so the expression of the love for the Father is the Son's obedience to the Father and the Father loves the Son. It's just beautiful. It's amazing. It's really confusing, but it's beautiful. And Jesus says, so the Father loves me, and I love the Father. I love you. <laughs> and Jesus says, I love you. I've chosen you. I'm going to call you my friend. And when he says, greater love is no one than this, he's talking about himself. There's no greater love than the love of Christ. There's no better expression of the love that we can receive than the love of Christ. And so Christ is saying, he's saying, look, like the Father loves me and I love the Father and I obey the Father. I want you to love me because I love you. And out of your expression and your devotion and your love for me, I would love for you to obey me as well. And so we have the Father and the Son. We have the Son in us. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, now I want you to love each other. And we are given this beautiful sequence of where love comes from and where we are supposed to receive it and how we are supposed to give it. And the love of the Son for the Father is seen in the expression of his obedience. And that is what obedience is. In, in verse 5 through uh, 17 here, sorry, 9 through 17 here, we, we see this five unique times where he says, keep my commands. And he's talking about even how he's kept his Father commands. And some of us, maybe right now, you're, you're visiting and you're like, wait, you're telling me religion is not just rolling up the Bible and using it as this blunt force object of obedience in my life to just obey, get in line, obey, get in line. And I'm happy to tell you, no. No. Jesus' obedience to the Father is because he loves the Father. Obedience is an expression of love. When Jesus calls us his, our, when Jesus calls us friend, obedience is a characterization of our friendship. 
And so we need to be really careful, you know, not, not, not to put those in the wrong order. Our faith can become very dysfunctional, very fast, if we get those out of order. You say, Mark, I don't always feel like loving. <laughs> so am I, am I still supposed to obey? Oh, the problem is just that. You don't feel like loving. But what does Jesus say in this text? You did not choose me. What does he say? I chose you. Love is a choice. In our marriages, for those of us that are married, actually in every area of our life, whether you're married, whoever it is in your life, love is a choice. It matters not how you feel. Love is, is a choice. And Jesus chooses to love us. We, we've done nothing to earn his love. We've done nothing. <laughs> and he chooses to love us. He chooses to love us. And so we have this beautiful sequence of love that's seen in this way. Let's go back to this word, remain. I remain, understanding what it is to remain is really important. And it's also really difficult because uh, I think any humble pastor or uh, theologian, you know, uh, or scholar, biblical scholar, would be honest in telling you, like, you know, the oneness of the Trinity and, and the inness of you will about how Christ is in us and we are in Christ and, you know, the Father is in Christ and Christ is in the Father and we are in Christ. It's it's complex and it's something we should just spend the rest of our life like praying that God gives us a better understanding of. And so not to make it too simple, but there are things that we can do to, to help understand what it means to remain in Christ. What it means to remain in Christ. Now remember, we cannot lose our salvation. So what does it mean to remain in Christ? And so remaining in Christ one way of understanding this, the act of remaining is the act of receiving. The act of remaining in Christ, waiting in Christ, abiding in Christ, resting in Christ, this act of remaining is the act of receiving all that Christ has to offer us, all that the life, Christ as the one true vine, wants to give the branch. And in the text, Jesus outlines three specific ways that we receive this life. Three specific ways that we receive Christ as the branch so that we can bear fruit. The first of this can be seen in verse seven. And Jesus actually teases it out. He teases it out in, in verse three. But it's his word. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, we can receive the word of Christ. We can receive the word of God. And this is a very powerful thing, the word of God. Uh, Hebrews 
4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. Some of us know this passage. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent uh, and equipped for every good work. Psalm, man, just the beautiful poetry of the Psalms. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. The word of God is living and active and we can receive that from Christ when we're grafted into the vine. We can receive this power in our life. We can receive this wonderful truth that can just help us become more like Christ as we try to bear more fruit. Second thing that we can receive from Christ is his love. We see this here in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Christ is sending us his love towards us. And we saw this in the sequence of love, right? And how we can just receive the love of Christ. We can receive the love that he has to give us. 1 John 4.10 tells us, and in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loves us, we ought to love one another. And there just in that verse, we can see this expression of our love for each other is born out of God's love for us and loving each other is being obedient. Why? Because God loves us. We can receive this love from the vine that's life-giving and our identity can be in this And so as we want to find our identity in the love of so many other places, or should I more specifically say people, but if our identity is rooted in Christ's love for us, it's amazing what we can receive. It's just amazing how much that can change our relationships, how much that can change everything that we do. We receive the word of God. We receive the love of God. We receive, and I love this one, the joy. Look with me at verse 11. If you still have your Bible open, and I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Complete joy. Can you even fathom what that is? Complete joy. Joy that is full. Joy that there is no more joy beyond it. It is complete joy. Say, Mario, I don't feel like being joyful right now. You know, bills I have to pay and the, the mess of a relationship. If you don't know, we're still in a pandemic. At least that's what I'm told, but I'm not really sure when I go visit my friends in other states. I don't know what's going on. Where is their joy? <laughs> 
Joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is not the same as joy. And too often we find ourselves, even the most devoted Christians, chasing happiness and completely losing track of the joy that we can perceive from Christ. We can take confidence in the book of James 1 verse 2 that says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. In other words, joy is not based on your circumstance. Joy it has a foundation that is greater than anything else that could possibly come our way when it's rooted in Christ, when we're receiving it from Christ. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The very presence of Christ in our lives has the ability to give us a joy that can never be moved and that can be greater than anything that we could experience. This is the joy that we can receive when we're crafted, when we're grafted into the vine. We can receive God's word, Christ's word we can receive Christ's love and we can receive Christ's joy and so the time we have left I just have three simple questions for us the first of which is this are you grafted into the vine are you even able to receive any of this right now Maybe you find yourself just on the brink in your faith and you haven't made that jump where you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I gotta tell you, it's worth it. You know, all the things that we can receive from Christ, the life that we can receive from Christ, it's not like a little faucet that we turn on and off. It's not even like a fire hydrant that we can unhook and open that just blasts dozens of feet. It's a stinking tsunami that's so good and so overwhelming. It is worth everything. And I just want to encourage you, if this is you and you're on the brink right now in your faith and you are not yet grafted into the vine, let's get grafted into the vine. I'm going to pray right now. And if this is you, I just encourage you to pray with me. If this is not you, pray Pray for the person who might be praying this right now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know that I am a branch that is unable to bear fruit because I am not fully grafted into the vine. I know that I am a sinner. I know that I need your grace and your forgiveness of my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he came and died for my sins and took my place but rose to eternal life. And I believe that by putting my faith and trust in him, I am grafted into the vine for eternity. So Father, forgive me I put my faith and my trust in you. My life is in your hands. I want to experience the life of the vine. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, 
we would love to know so that we can celebrate with you. And so there's this phrase, I said yes, it's right here on the screen, just text I said yes right now if you would to this number so that we can celebrate with you as the angels right now are celebrating in heaven. And this is just the first question we have to ask, we have to deal with, are we grafted into the vine? Are we a branch that can even bear any fruit? Second question is this. If we are grafted into the vine, for those of us that are remaining in Christ, we know that our eternity is secure, that we cannot be lopped off. But we may not be truly experiencing all that we can be receiving from Christ by remaining in him. And, and why is this? Because we're dysfunctional, because we get messed up and we get sideways about all kinds of things in all kinds of areas. And we choose to try and find happiness in other things, even though it is so fragile and, and it just goes away with the wind when, when Christ offers us true joy. And when we seek the love and affection of, of others as our identity, uh, when Christ is saying, I've given you like the best identity you could possibly have but we don't choose that looking for truth we look for truth everywhere but here our values here at door creek church center on these things centering our life on god's truth compassionate service being a joyful witness these things that we too often avoid and i think we avoid it I think we avoid it in a, in a way that I can help us understand. Remember back when you were in high school and, or, or maybe college, and there was that young man and young woman who, who got together, became a couple, if you will. And they were that quintessential couple where they were just inseparable, like inseparable to a way that was like, seriously, like you don't have to hold hands like, everywhere right? like sitting so close you don't have to sit that close you know all of us know the kind of couple I'm talking about some of you were that couple okay and what happened or what happened when that couple broke up well they weren't holding hands anymore right they weren't like glued at the hip anymore what happened what happened is they're like avoiding each other I go, you're eating there then? Okay, uh, I'm going to eat at this uh, cafeteria or restaurant uh, at a different time. I don't even want to, to even, you know, possibly run into you. That would be like the worst thing in the world if that happened. Uh, silly example, but when we feel hurt, when we feel pain, whether we are the one giving the pain or receiving the pain, we avoid. We avoid. And some of us in, in our faith, we, we're avoiding Christ. We're avoiding Christ for really no good reason because Christ has said right here in verse three, you were already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are already clean. There's no reason to feel guilt. There's no reason to feel shame. Christ is saying these words to his disciples that in just a matter of hours will curse his name and despise him and reject him. And he's telling them, you're already clean. How much more is he telling us? 
And so as we're just limiting ourselves from what we could be receiving in Christ, his word and his love and his joy, because of our own sinfulness. So let's, let's just put that down and know that we didn't do anything to earn our salvation. There's nothing that can keep us from just consistently day after day kneeling before the throne of God and saying, I need, I need your love. I need your joy. I need your word. First question is, just, are you grafted into the vine? Second question, if you're grafted in, man, are, are you receiving this right now? Third question is just simply, do you want to receive it? We live in a, a cancel culture or whatever you want to call it. Well, I would say most of it, we're almost nervous to, to post anything, which honestly we probably could be fine without posting anything anyways, but we're just nervous because we don't want to offend anybody because the slightest, uh, the slightest uh, comment or, or gesture uh, could completely polarize your relationship with someone that you care about or someone you think that you care about. And it brings us to actually the rest of our text, which we haven't read yet, which is just John uh, chapter 5, verses 18 through 25, which is Jesus just simply telling his disciples, look, they have rejected me, they have opposed me. And if they've rejected me and opposed me and hated me, it actually says they've hated me, you're going to experience that, but it's, but it's because you are in the vine. And we need to remember that our identity is not in a political party. Our identity isn't even in a nation. Our identity is not in a relationship. Our identity is not in a work ID. Our identity is not in a school or anything hanging on our walls. Our identity is in the vine. And that we just need to continually experience and receive all that the vine has to possibly offer us so that we can bear fruit. Not because it has anything to do with us, but because it has everything to do with Christ who has given all for us and wants us to receive this tsunami of love, this tsunami of joy in our life so that no matter what comes, nothing can shake us because our joy is in Christ. No matter what comes, nothing can change our identity. Our security is sure in Christ. Nothing can shake our confidence because of the word that we have in Christ. And so it's just my encouragement for us today that we would go and that we would just remember the vine that we remain in. And that we would bask in his glory and receive all that he wants us to receive so that we can bear fruit like loving each other that gives God all the glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for your son, for this imagery of the vine and the branches. Thank you so much. Help us now, help us 
to receive more of your word and more of your love and more of your joy, the abundance that we have yet to even comprehend. Help us to receive it so that we can experience a blessing beyond our comprehension. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.